Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Bryce. I'm the student ministry director here at OCC, and I'm really excited to be sharing the message with you this evening. Our senior pastor, Josh De La Rosa, is currently teaching right now at a training program called the Antioch Project. So the Antioch Project is a five-year training program where Josh and some other local pastors have teamed together in our church network to help raise up more more and more leaders who are uh, sent a call from God um, for vocational ministry. And so Josh is there teaching right now, and I'm very excited to be filling in um, tonight and sharing with you. Um, and the thing that we're talking about tonight um, is this, that there are no shortcuts on the path to life. This is what we're talking about. I'm sorry, hate to break it to you, but there are no shortcuts on the path of life. It's unfortunate. Sorry to be starting this way, okay? But um, I was, as I was thinking about this idea, I remembered a hike that I went on um, a few years ago. Actually, it was, it was several years ago. I went on a hike with some friends. So it was, it was pretty late at night. Maybe it was about this time at night, and we went to Box Springs. So how many of you have been at Box Springs? you seen up there? I can kind of see you. So, okay, we got a few, so you know what I'm talking about. All right. So I've been up, it was up to Box Springs. I didn't really know what I was getting into. And so he pulls up onto the side of the road. Um, and it definitely didn't look like the normal entrance, whatever the normal entrance was, which I didn't know. Um, but we looked like we just pulled up right to the side of the mountain, which is pretty much what we did. And then we just took off up the mountain. And the M, there's an M at the very top of Box Springs. That's where we were going to. And we just seriously climbed up straight up the side of the mountain right to the M. And it was pretty difficult and strenuous. I'm not, you know... I guess I would say I'm not, I wasn't in the best of shape, okay? And it was late at night. You can't really see anything. But it was a pretty tough hike. And by the end of it, you know, I was exhausted. I was like, man, okay. You could barely see the M, you know. But it was a cool, you know, got to see a cool view. Um, this one's pretty nice, too. <laughs> and a lot less work, I guess. But, um, but then <clears throat> just recently I found out there's actually a different way to the M. And by recently, I mean maybe like five or six months ago, <laughs> Um, I, there's actually a different way. It's like a, a nice kind of paved road. That's just a slight incline. It's pretty easy. It's pretty leisurely stroll. You know, you work up a sweat. It's a little bit difficult maybe, but it's significantly easier. It's kind of like, it's a lot like Mount Rubido. If you've been up Mount Rubido and you're not sure what I'm talking about. So it's a pretty easy way, right? And as I was thinking about this idea, you know, there are no shortcuts on the path to life. What life tends to feel like more is my first journey up to the M which was straight up the side of the mountain in the dark. You can't really see anything. Pretty difficult, you know, and it's pretty tough. But what I really expect life to be like is this other way. It's nice, leisurely. You know, I'm going up, but it's pretty easy to see where I'm going. It's pretty easy just to keep 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 heading up the path, and it feels a lot better. But that just doesn't seem to be the way that life tends to work. Life just seems to work in a much different way. But but whenever we're in, you know, sometimes, though, we kind of see this other path, even though it's slightly different from what God is, is leading us on and direction that God's taking us. But it looks very tempting to take a shortcut. And so we're really tempted to take a shortcut. But the truth is there really are no shortcuts on the path to life. And we're going to talk about this. We're in this message series in Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts over the last several weeks. And we've been focusing on this 
verse right here, um, and it's the verse behind me, and it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen through the book of Acts how this actually takes place. This, um, what he describes in this verse, Jesus tells his disciples this before he leaves, um, but this actually takes place in the book of Acts. And it's pretty remarkable, and it even continues to this day. Uh, But before we continue, let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for you, and we're grateful for all that you did through the early church as the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, God. We are part of the ends of the earth, and so we are part of the blessing of that message just continuing to spread over the years. And so, Lord, we just thank you. And I just pray, Lord, tonight that as we dig into your word, that we would conform our thoughts and perspectives to your word. And I just pray, God, that you would work in people's hearts. Would you stir things up as we hear from your word? And would you just direct them and help them to have the faith and courage to walk with you and trust you? Lord, because we know that you love us and you are good to us. So, Lord, I just pray for your help. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would be honored by my thoughts and my words, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, Josh shared the story of Stephen. And Stephen was a godly man. He was a leader in the church. Um, But then he was killed. And then a persecution started throughout the church. A big persecution started um, throughout the church. And then that's where we pick up in chapter 8. We're going to pick up right there where we left off in verse 1. And this isn't on the screen, but I'm just going to read it for you so you know um, what took place. Um, So in verse 1, it says this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So you kind of have this grouping of all the Christians at, at the beginning. They were all in Jerusalem. But then this persecution happens, and it kicks off a lot right after Stephen um, gets killed. And then they just scatter It says that the the apostles, the main leaders, stay in Jerusalem, but then all these other Christians, there were thousands at that point, and all these other Christians are just scattered throughout these different regions. But then you see the fulfillment of this verse, Acts 1-8, happen right here. They spread to Judea and then to Samaria. And you can see this this graph right here. Um, But they spread to Judea and then Samaria. And then actually at the end of chapter 8, and what we're going to talk about next week, it actually spreads to the ends of the earth. A man named Philip meets um, another man from Ethiopia, and he shares the gospel with him, and that man puts his faith in Christ, and then the gospel spreads even there, which is pretty remarkable. And we're going to talk about that um, next week. But one of the things that really stood out to me as I reflected on what happened is that the church started to spread, or the message started to spread as a result of persecution. If you or I were in charge of developing the strategy of how this was going to play out and what was going to take place, it certainly wouldn't have been through persecution. We would have tried to think of a different way that happened. But that's the way that God used. He used the persecution of his people in order to be a blessing to the people that were all around. It's pretty remarkable how God does that. But that's um, the pattern that you see um, that God does. So then the story focuses on a man named Philip. And Philip was a high-level leader just like Stephen Um, And he goes to Samaria, and then he begins proclaiming to the people there about Jesus. 
Um, and so in verse 9, it picks up um, on one individual. Also, so it says he goes to this, a city in Samaria. He proclaims the message about Jesus, and the people really respond. It says with one accord, they pay attention to his message, and they respond to his message. And it says there's great joy in that city as they responded to him. But then it picks up in verse 9 that focuses on one individual in that group, and his name was Simon. And he responded to the gospel message, um, but he at the same time, as we kind of hear his story, he was definitely looking to take a shortcut on the path to life. And we'll kind of see how all that played out for him. So we'll pick it up in verse 9, and it says this, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Simon is this magician who amazes people with whatever powers he can do. And then he kind of self-professes himself as someone great, but somehow he's fooled everybody into thinking that, you know what, he must be pretty great. So he must have been doing something pretty remarkable for people to be amazed by that. But then something far greater comes on, something even more powerful, and it's Philip. And it's Philip as he proclaims the message of Jesus, that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that if they believe in him, they could be forgiven of their sins. And it's confirmed by signs and wonders. Miracles are happening And it confirms the truth of the message that Philip is preaching. And then it says that Simon himself is amazed. So I think he sees it, and then he's amazed at what's happening. He's he's blown away by what takes place. So then let's keep reading. In verse 14, it says this. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the gospel had started to spread in Samaria. The good news had started to spread in Samaria. People were clearly responding, just as they had in Jerusalem um, not long before. And the word gets back to the apostles, the main leaders at that time in Jerusalem, that something is really going on in Samaria. And so they send Peter and John, two of the main leaders, basically to see what's happening, but also to pray for them that the Holy Spirit would come on them. And we don't have a lot of time to unpack all of this and all that's going on right here. Um, But the main thing I'll point out is that this is a descriptive event, and it's not prescriptive. This is describing a historical account of what took place. And at that time, what happened is, um, as the, the, the Word of God started to spread to the people in Samaria, um, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. So what the Bible explains is that when someone puts their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on them right away. And they are empowered to actually follow God. They're empowered to new life, to obey God in a new way. But this is a very unique circumstance where people, um, where new people, a new group of people, the gospel had spread to a new group of people, and um, the, the leaders, Peter and John, were sort of confirming that, yes, the Holy Spirit really is at work right here. So it's a descriptive event, not prescriptive of what normally happens. Um, But meanwhile, Simon, 
he's kind of watching all this take place. He's watching Peter and John come. He sees that these guys, you know, they're really the ones in charge. Clearly something powerful is happening through them. And we'll kind of see how they respond right afterwards. And it says this in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So this kind of tells the story of what happens to Simon after he approaches them. Um, And we're going to spend the rest of the time here because this is where we can get a window into why we desire to take shortcuts just like Simon was desiring to do the same thing. So Simon, after he sees what happens with Peter, he offers them he offers them money um, so that he can have the same power, the same authority to give out the Holy Spirit to other people. He thinks that it's by money, just by getting money or paying money that he can actually get the power, the authority to do this. But Peter responds to him and he rebukes him very sharply. And he basically says, he says, no, may your silver perish with you. He says, no. And the thing that he points out is he points out that because it's because your heart is not right before God. And that's what we're really getting to is the heart is really the heart of the matter. I know it's kind of a cheesy saying, the heart is the heart of the matter. But it really is true. The heart was the problem that Simon had. He has a heart issue. And it's coming out in his actions and how he's responding to the circumstance or the situation that he's in. It's just coming out. That's just revealing what's really in his heart. Because Simon, if you remember, he used to be someone great. He said, hey, I'm really great. Everybody, just so you know. And then someone greater came along. And so he got this dose of humility based on what was actually true. It was actually real. But then, you know, over time, it's natural for him to want to desire to be great, to have that kind of status again. And so he wants it. Um, But the problem is that his heart is not right as he's trying to get it. Um, And if you're new here, if you're exploring Christianity for the first time or you're looking, you're trying to investigate what this really is about. This actually points to a really important thing um, that that really is, is true to God and is really important to God is that God really is after our hearts. What he wants in us is not just, you know, ritualistic obedience. He really is after our hearts. He wants our hearts to really love him. And so and this and this passage points out that there really is a problem with our hearts. Um, And so what we're going to talk about is basically how the heart works. And then after that, we're going to talk about the problem that we all face in our heart. And then lastly, we want to talk about what we do. What should we do in response? So what can we do in response? So the first part is is understanding how the heart works. And our heart, it directs the path that we walk. So our heart, it directs the path we walk. It kind of acts as this cockpit for how we navigate through life. It guides us and directs us. And that's how we make decisions. And I'm not talking about just emotions. I'm not t- just talking about, you know, emotions or feelings and how that kind of leads us through. It really is this, it's a much deeper thing than that. So the Bible explains there's several things in our hearts. 
Our heart has desires in it, the things that we want, good things or bad things, has desires in it. Um, it also has perspectives. There's perspectives that are in our heart, which that's how we understand how we think that the world works. And we also have values, which is the things that are most important to us. Things that are important, you know, those things are in our hearts. And we use, we make decisions based on how all of these things sort of intersect. And let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's just say um, at work right now, you really want a promotion. You're looking to get a promotion. That's a desire. You have a desire for a promotion. And your perspective on it, which is basically like how, how this works, how do I get one, um, is maybe that, you know, people that get a promotion are those that kind of suck up to the boss, right? They kind of brown nose, they flatter the boss, and that's really how people, are, people get promoted. So that's your understanding of how things work. But your values, you value your integrity more than you do lying or getting into flattery or trying to get a promotion that way. And so rather than, you know, seeking to get a promotion by doing that, you choose to maintain your integrity in that situation and trust that some other way God will take care of you. Um, rather than your, the promotion is not as important as maintaining your integrity. And so that's just an example of how these things work and how our heart will really direct us on the path that we decide to take. And this happens all the time. Uh, but all this takes place in our hearts. And God really cares. What he wants is he wants our desires to line up with his desires, our perspectives to line up with his perspectives, which is just reality. That's another way of describing just he wants to understand how things really work in life, but also for us to value the things that he values. These are the things that he really wants us to do. And when we do that, when we do that, then we get to experience life. We truly experience life. But there is a problem. And that problem is our heart. And it's pointed out here, there's two problems really that's pointed out that's revealed in this story. And it's found in verse 23. And it says this, and Peter says this to Simon. He says, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And if you're like me, you're thinking, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> the gall of bitterness. You know, what is this? No one has said that to me before. And that's okay by me. <laughs> And this is, um, this actually points to a different part of the Bible. In the Old Testament, in this book of Deuteronomy, it actually is, is pointing to something that, um, that's written there. And it's in, it's in Deuteronomy 29. And so I'm going to read it to you and just kind of highlight a few things from it. But as you read it, I mean, this book is written many, many years ago, but it's a crazy how relevant and applicable it still is to life. So let's read. In verse 18, it says this. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. That's where he's getting the gall of bitterness. Beware, lest there be a, among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. So there's two problems that, highlight, that are highlighted here with our hearts. And the first one is that our hearts wander after other gods. So our hearts wander after other gods. And if you're wondering what I mean, um, then here, let me explain it to you. <laughs> So we look for many things that take place, that take the place of God in our lives. We, we just do this. Our hearts naturally have a tendency to wander after other things. There's a great hymn 
um, that points this out. It says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He says, take my heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. Because he knows that the heart is the issue, but we're just prone to wander. We just start to wander off. And the things that we look for in replacement of God, we look for all kinds of things. But there's three real core things that we're really looking for. And that's these right here. That's security. It's identity. And then it's purpose. So security, identity, and purpose. And let me explain what I mean. I'll give you an example to kind of highlight what I mean. And the example is status. This is something our heart tends to wander after. And this is what Simon's heart was wondering after. It was wandering after status. Have you ever walked into a room, maybe you have a new group of people, and you start to, you know, look around, and you kind of like size everybody up, you know, and kind of figure out what's the pecking order, who's got status in this group, you know, maybe it's like uh, the gym or something, I don't go to the gym much, most people don't at this point, I think, so, but, um, <laughs> sorry, that's not funny, but it's real. So, but I don't go to the gym, you know, but you know, you're like, okay, that guy's lifting, you know, he's got some 45s. <laughs> I could take him, you know, but right, we do this. It's crazy, but you like actually will do that, you know, when you go into the gym or something, or maybe it's like you're a new workplace, you're going into work, you know, you try to find out, you know, who's got the best numbers, you know, like I'll take them pretty soon. Give me a couple weeks and I'll be up there, you know, but we do this. Maybe it's a friend group, you know, you're trying to think, okay, who's got the best house, Who's got the, you know, nicest things or whatever it is, or who's the funniest or friendliest or whatever it is you try to get, whatever status is for that. Or maybe it's a school project, you know, who's going to lead this thing? Am I going to lead it? I'm going to take charge. I don't want to be the one who doesn't lead it. Whatever it is, you know, we kind of tend to figure out what the pecking order is. And I'll never forget early in my career, I went to a work conference. It's like an association conference where people with my role and similar organizations um, I work at a university, I work at California Baptist University, so people that work at other universities, they like do presentations uh, on the exact same thing that I do. They just share, you know, here are the best practices or here are things that I do. And talk about a great situation to compare yourself to other people and size yourself up, you know, based on what they're doing. So I'm sitting through and listening to these, and then I catch myself in the middle between sessions, and I start to come up with this plan in my heart. I'm like, coming up with all these things in my heart about how I'm going to rise to the ranks of this association, you know, and then be the top dog and show everybody, you know, like, wow, Bryce, what a great job you do. And then it's almost like the Lord just stopped me or just, I like, kind of came to my senses and I thought, what are you doing? Like, you don't even care about that this much. <laughs> like, you really just don't. But what are you doing? But you know what I do care about? I care about being great. I want that. My heart desires that. I just want status. You know, I may not even care too much about what this organization does, but I just care about being viewed as great before other people. And the truth is that I'm not just, I'm just not that great. It's a hard truth for me to realize, but that's the truth. One of my favorite perspectives that someone shared about this specific thing was from Matt Sprinkle. He's the pastor at Church in the Valley. He's a mentor and a friend of mine. And he used the Lord of the Rings as an example. So I may not go to the gym, but I love the Lord of the Rings, okay? So... <laughs> Oh, man. So, but he's the Lord of the Rings example. He's like, hey, most of us like to think of that movie, you know, in life in general. We're like, we're one of the main characters, you know, like I'm Aragorn or I'm Legolas or Gimli. Do you like? 
Right? We think we're, you know, one of those main characters who are great, they're brave, they're heroic. But he's like, you know what? In life, we're actually Elf 357. <laughs> we die two minutes in to the battle for Helm's Deep. <laughs> That's who we are. But, you know, our heart just pulled after this thought of like, man, I just want to be great. And how this works, how these things play into this, is that actually gives us security. If I'm viewed as great by all, then we think, you know, I'm going to be able to handle anything that comes. You know, we start to actually believe that. Just like Simon, he thought to, he actually believed that. People started to affirm that. He really thought he was someone great. Preservation of my reputation becomes paramount here. Or even identity, how I define myself, is really in relation to other people, of how I'm better than other people. So I get into comparison a lot, but that's actually how I define my um, how I define myself. There's this great scene in the movie Rocky. Um, he has this great line, where so Rocky is about to fight. You know, he's just this underdog um, about to fight Apollo Creed. You know, the world champion. And he's saying, he kind of has this realization right before he's about to fight him. He says, "I can't do it." He's talking to his wife, Adrian. I'm not going to impersonate him. <laughs> Yo, Adrian, right? Right, but he has this great moment, and he says, "I can't do it." He tells her, "I can't do it. I can't beat him." She's like, "What do you mean?" He says, "Look, I can't beat him, but I just want to go the distance." And he says, "And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings, and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood." And that's this. We all have this like interior desire to prove that i'm just not i'm not just another bum from the neighborhood i am actually somebody and that's this identity this is core identity piece and then purpose the driving motivator for me is to be great when i heart my heart gets wrapped up into this to protect and reinforce my reputations at all costs and that's what that's what drives me to do things that's what drives me to work hard that's what drives me to you know excel and succeed and my career, whatever it is, is just for the sake of being great. So we make decisions, we make commitments, or we say things that are in line with this as our heart just kind of gets wrapped up around this. There are other examples. There are countless examples other than status. There's money, there's power, or just the ability to like make decisions for myself, for my own future. There's pleasure and fun. Those things our hearts can really get wrapped up around. And the Bible explains that this is ultimately sin. You see, to Simon, Peter said, you're in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Because when we fully give ground to this, when we fully let our hearts get wrapped up around this, then we actually become enslaved to this. We become enslaved to this. The thing, um, it, is, it has this grip on us. Because without it, think about it, without it, then we start to think, where will I turn for security? Will I be okay if I don't have this? Or who am I? If I don't have this thing, then who am I? Who actually am I? Or will I not be fulfilled if I have to give this up? Won't I just not be fulfilled if I, if I have to give this up and let this go? And the shortcut that we think is going to give us life, it turns out actually ends up just enslaving us. It enslaves us into, instead. But this is only half of the problem that we face just to make matters worse. The second part of the problem is we get into self-deception. So check out this in verse 19. This is back in Deuteronomy. It says this. So he's saying, beware 
has this kind of warning thought, you know, beware. Then it picks up, says, one who, when he hears the word of this sworn covenant, he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. It's like our hearts wander off after these things, and then we close our eyes, and we think everything is going to be okay. We deceive ourselves, and we think that God doesn't know that our hearts are actually being stubborn, and they're walking away from what he wants to do. We just think we can get away with it, so we deceive ourselves. And then what happens in the middle of that self-deception and wandering, God exposes the problem in our hearts. God exposes. And you know what? This really is because he's so kind to us. Because he knows that when we wrap our hearts around these things that are not him, it, it's, just, it's just a way of enslaving us and causing us so much more harm. And so it's God's kindness that he exposes to us. And he exposes our hearts through correction or calamity. This is how God exposes the, the things in our hearts. This is how he exposes it to us. Simon's heart condition, it was revealed by correction. Peter pointed it out very clearly to him. Um, this is why one of our heart attitudes at OCC, if you've been around here, you're familiar with this. And if you're newer, we have several values that we hold highly because God holds them highly. And one of them is giving and receiving scriptural correction. And this is partly the reason why is because we get into this self-deception. We all have blind spots in our lives that we just can't see. We just are not able to see ourselves fully and accurately. And we need other people to speak into those things. And so Peter very clearly addressed the issue. He corrected him, um, and he showed him what the problem was. And this happens. And when this happens, the thing that we really need to do is we need to respond with teachability. Accept it and consider it. Bring it to the Lord. When someone corrects you, don't react defensively, but really consider, maybe this is true. Maybe I'm not seeing something, and maybe someone else is seeing something in my life that I'm just, I just have been blind to or I've been deceiving myself to. Because realize this is an opportunity to save you from a lot of hardship. This really could actually help you if you take it seriously and listen. But another way is through calamity. That's another way that God just exposes what's happening in our hearts. Both of them, though, tend to be painful and difficult. Right? The normal approach to life is when we're faced with a trying and a difficult circumstance, then often we just struggle to handle it well. It's just hard. I mean, a normal day, we have two young kids and sometimes it just gets crazy. Like as much as we try to sort of maintain what's happening, you know, sometimes, you know, it just goes crazy, like in a matter of seconds, you know, and it's just difficult. And then the natural thing to do is just to start battling between, you know, me and my wife. It's just so normal, you know, like, why aren't you doing more or, or whatever it is, like these circumstances, they just squeeze these things out of us. And it's just normal. So we react. We're hurtful to people with our words. We use cutting remarks, or we make poor decisions. We act on impulse. We act hastily. We don't really consider everything. We don't consider other people as part of it. You know, you name it, we handle it poorly. We handle these circumstances, these real issues, poorly. And often when we do this, we blame our response on the circumstances rather than recognizing our exposed heart. So we blame our response on the circumstances rather than on the exposed heart that's really been revealed. We try to excuse our sin. We say, you know, well, circumstances were different. If things were different, then I wouldn't have responded in the way that I did. 
But what we fail to see is that our heart has actually been wandering after something else for probably a long time at that point. Our heart's been wrapped up in something else and we've deceived ourselves. We've told ourselves it's going to be fine. I can still walk in the stubbornness of my ways, whatever it is, and I'm going to be okay. But then God and his kindness actually helps bring it up and he reveals it. He brings up a circumstance or or situation and he basically is trying to get our attention. He says, hey, you can't keep doing this. You're in bondage. Even though you think this is a shortcut, even though you think it's the other way up box springs, it's a lot easier. It actually isn't. This could damage you. This could damage other people. This could damage the people around you, the people that you're responsible for. And so he's trying to get our attention. But instead of doing the difficult, heart-sorting work, what we do is we look for a way out. We look for another kind of shortcut, another way around um, this difficulty that God's brought up. Um, So we look for a shortcut in order for us to experience something on the path to life. There's a scene from the movie Finding Nemo that illustrates this point really well. So I want you to check this out. So this is a great scene. Uh, Marlon, if you haven't seen Finding Nemo, um, there's a fish. He's looking for his son who gets um, across the ocean, and he meets a fish that has short-term memory loss. And so they're trying to, you know, just navigate through the ocean together. So, but check out the scene. That's great. Oh, hey, man, one more thing. Yes. When you come to this trench, swim through it, not over it. Trench, through it, not over it. I'll remember. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, wait up, partner. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I got I to gotta tell you something. Whoa. Nice trench. Hello! Hello! Okay, let's go. Bad trench. Bad trench. Come on, we're going to swim over this thing. Whoa, whoa, partner. Little red flag going up. Something's telling me we should swim through it, not over it. Are you even looking at this thing? It's got death written all over it. I'm sorry, but I really, really, really think we should swim through. And I'm really, really done talking about this. Over we go. Come on, trust me on this. Trust you. Yes, trust. It's what friends do. Bye. Oh, hey, ma'am. One more thing? Yes. All right. So if you know what happens next, what they do is they swim up. Marlon and, and Dory swim up over the trench. And it looks like it's smooth sailing. It looks like it's just completely clear. It's going to be easy. They're looking for the um, the next path on where to go. But then they end up encountering uh, a bunch of jellyfish. And they really get into some pretty big danger, especially for Dory. Marlon is a little bit safer, but Dory really does get into some danger. And that happens a lot in life, right? So the reaction that Marlon had to seeing the trench that God brings us to, We have the same reaction to him. We say, hey, look, this looks really dangerous. I don't see how I'm going to make it through this. It seems really difficult. And we can quickly think as God reveals certain things to our hearts, I'm not going to go there. I just don't trust God to help take care of me as I move forward through this or I move through this. I don't think I'm going to be okay. But the Holy Spirit is more like Dory who's saying, hey, we need to go through this. We need to go through this and not around it. We need to figure out what's going on. And over time, what God does, if we, if we take the approach of just trying to take the shortcut again, then God brings us right back around to a trench. And he brings us to another situation where he exposes the same thing in our hearts because he's trying to get attention. So if I'm recapping what's going on, we talk about our heart. The heart is really the heart of the matter. Our hearts direct the path that we walk, but our hearts wander. They tend to wander after other things. And then we deceive ourselves and we close our eyes. 
We think we're going to be okay. But then God ends up leading us along right to a trench where he exposes what's going on in our hearts. And then we have to decide. And the question really is, is how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to what God is doing when he brings us to these moments? Because the truth is there really are no shortcuts on the path to life. There are no shortcuts. But God does provide a lot of help. And he can really help us move forward. So the way that we respond is with repentance and faith. This is how we respond. We respond in these situations with repentance and faith. And the first, so the first thing you do is you respond with repentance. And this helps us get back on track. And this is good news for all of us. This is such good news for all of us. God understands different places in the Bible. It explains that God knows what we're made of. He knows our frame is what it says. He remembers that we are made from the dust. And he knows that we're weak. And so he knows that we have difficulty. He knows that we get off track. And God is so gracious and he is so forgiving. And so when we do repent, we can trust that God will forgive us. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we go to God, when we decide that we're going to actually agree with him, that the thing that he's pointing out to really is sin. We really have done wrong to him or to other people. When we finally agree with him on that and we bring it to him, we can trust that he's going to forgive us. He is going to forgive us. One of the things that I talked to with my son, Levi, is this God has really worked this into me. And I have really tried to focus on that with him whenever he does wrong, whenever he, he sins. One of the things I always try to tell him is that I will always forgive you. And I will always love you. I am going to forgive you no matter what. Every time he asks, I'm going to forgive you. But he still struggles. Sometimes he really just struggles to say sorry, even though he knows that I'm going to forgive him. But we do the exact same thing with God. We still struggle to really agree with him and, and, and apologize to him. But when we do, we really can trust that he's going to forgive us. And this really helps us get back on track. This really is really important. If you've been struggling, if you can identify that you've been wandering after something, that your heart's been kind of wrapped up in something, you've been looking for security, identity, purpose, and something else that's other than God, and God's revealing that to you, then I just encourage you, don't delay, repent. Just agree with him. Agree with God that what you've done is wrong, and you'll find forgiveness, and God will actually lead you on a path towards life to experience true life. But don't delay. Repent. That's the first step. The second way we respond, though, is through faith. So we respond in with repentance and then faith. And this really is highlighted. And if you remember anything from tonight, then I encourage you to read this, this passage, this verse. It's one that's probably familiar to many of you. And it's this. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I'm just going to read that again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That is so hard to do because it doesn't make sense to us. Right? Why would it make sense for me to do something that just doesn't make sense to me? Why am I going to trust God that he's going to take care of me when, when we're just like Marlon? We're looking at that. That looks like that trench is going to lead me to death. But I see this other way. It looks clear. Looks like I'm going to be safe. But the truth is, and this is what God proves time and time again through our lives, but time and time again through the Bible, is that he actually knows how life works. He knows how reality works. He, he made it. He created it. 
And so when we decide to let go of what makes sense to us, that gives us security, identity, purpose, and we trust instead to choose what God will say gives us those things, which is really just obeying him and following him and walking with him, then we do actually get to find and experience life. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Faith sets your heart on the path to life. Faith does. And yesterday's faith is not enough for today's situation or today's circumstance, whatever that is that you're facing. It's just this constant new thing where we're constantly having to choose faith based on the situation and circumstances that we find ourselves in. So you have to align your perspectives with God, at God's, as it's found in the Bible, because your heart wanders. But if you follow your heart, you're going to keep wandering around and God's going to bring you to another trench. He's going to say, trust me, trust me and decide to do the difficult work of letting me expose what's in your heart. Repent and deal with it. But trust me, because on the other side really is life. And you really can find life when you do that. So there are four main next steps that you can take. And I just want to highlight these briefly. So there's four next steps that you can take. The first thing is just to identify what shortcuts Am I taking what shortcuts have I been trying to take? How has my heart been wandering and what have I allowed my heart to just get wrapped around? What's really just kind of giving me putting me in bondage? What am I deceiving myself in? You know and bring those to the Lord. So then the next part is once you identify that if you do identify that then repent of that sin repent and confess And experience God's forgiveness trust that God really is going to forgive you because he will And the next step is choose faith. So then decide to go through the trench. Decide to trust him each step of the way. What God does, he reveals one step at a time as we continue to trust him through it. And over time, what happens is God will transform our heart. He really does change it. He transforms our heart as we walk forward with him, trusting him to take care of us. And the great promise that you can remember as you decide, if you're on the fence of, you know, I see God's bringing me to a a trench right now. I'm just not sure if I can trust him in it. What you can remember is that God is not going to leave you, and he is not going to forsake you. Because that's what we think. We think that I'm going to get in this, and then God's going to bail on me, and I'm going to be stuck, and it's going to be really difficult, and I'm not going to know what to do. But God won't. He won't bail on you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He's going to help you each step of the way. But then the other thing we really need is we need wisdom from others. We need other people. I can't, from here, direct you on how you're supposed to navigate through those difficult situations. We need people that are part of our lives. We need to be pulled into community. Just like Simon was corrected by someone, we need people to correct us too. We need to participate and be involved in this. We have volunteers that help set up and do all kinds of things throughout our ministry. We have 174 people who volunteer regularly, which is pretty remarkable. And that's a great way for you to get connected and to be known, and for people to then decide to help you through these things, or get into a small group in the spring. We're going to launch groups again, um, but we, we, I encourage you to get in part of a small group so you can be around people who can help you. If you need help too, right now, we're going to have staff. We have a prayer tent right here, and we would love to pray for you as well. We'd love to help you with whatever circumstance or situation that you find yourself in, and you need prayer right now. We're, we're available right here. We would love to help you. Now, we've all experienced how God has been so faithful to us through the difficulty and trying times, and he really is good. And you can trust him. And we can trust him because Jesus himself was brought up to a trench when he was in the garden 
right before he was crucified, Jesus struggled. And he said, if there is any other way, but not, not my will, but yours be done, I'm going to trust you, God. And on the other side of the cross, not only was it, um, was, did he receive the name that is above every name, but through that, through the difficulty, through the persecution, and through the hurt that he experienced, it brought blessing to all of us. And that's what happens. As we do that and as we move forward through that, and this is exactly what happened at the beginning of Acts 8, is that persecution led to the spread of Christians all throughout um, the region. And that people were blessed through their sacrifice. And this is what happens. We have a God who, who blesses in the midst of sacrifice. But he did that. He doesn't ask us to do that without doing it first himself. And so he sacrificed first for himself. And so we follow him. And we can trust him because he's going to do us good. So let me pray. Father, we're so grateful for you. And Lord, we're just so grateful for your son, Jesus. Um, that he took our place, Lord, that he took our sin. And that we get to experience life. And so, God, we... Um, Lord, I just pray that as people, as you just have stirred things up in people, um, God, I pray that they would respond in faith. I pray that they would trust you um, to take care of them through it, Lord, that uh, on the other side of it, it really is life. I just pray that they would get involved in community, that they get involved here, Lord, and that you would work in them. Um, And Lord, that we could be a blessing to more and more people, that more and more people would come to know um, the life that's found in you, God. So we're so grateful for you, Lord. Um, We pray um, that you be honored in all we do. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.